Welcome to this special episode about a brand new global youth movement, Act for Food, Act for Change. I'm Saffron Steddle and I'm a 16-year-old food activist from Portsmouth in southern England. Over the past three years, I've been campaigning for access to healthy food for the poorest kids in the UK. But if we want to transform our food system and help reverse the damage we've been doing to our planet, we need to work on a global scale. I want to introduce you to young people, just like me, in countries all over the world, who are joining together to take Act for Food, Act for Change, to the United Nations Food System Summit. We know the impact our current food system has on our health and on the climate, and young people want businesses and governments to urgently act to fix our broken food system in a list of asks we're calling Actions for Change. We've also signed a pledge, and we want to inspire millions of young people around the world to join us. The UN Food System Summit is just the beginning. We want this movement to build over the next 10 years as we all come together to achieve the sustainable development goals set by the United Nations. Together, we can really make a difference and build a sustainable food system where everyone has access to healthy and affordable food. But we need your help. My name is Mike Konga. I am 27 years old. I am from Malawi. I'm a youth advocate for nutrition. I am Dipti Chaudhuri. I'm from Bangladesh. I'm 17 years old. I am one of the 20 million adolescent girls of my country. Hi, I'm Sophie. I'm 23 years old and I'm from a little town in the south west coast of Ireland in County Cork. My name is Maureen Muketha. I am from Nairobi, Kenya. I'm 25 years old and um, I'm a nutritionist. Uh, my name is Taylor Quinn. I'm originally from Vancouver on the west coast of Canada. I'm currently 28 years old. My name is Hui Yu. I'm based in Beijing, China. I'm 26 years old. Just some of the youth leaders you'll hear from today representing this global movement of young people who care massively about having their say in shaping the future of food. In October 2020, a core group of young leaders already working in food and environment was formed from all over the world. Dipti, Maureen and Sophie, as well as Lana in Brazil, Lagi in Fiji and Janya in the US, decided to launch a global pledge and call it Act for Food, Act for Change. This is the Youth Pledge. We know our current food systems contribute to ongoing health, climate and biodiversity crisis and violation of human rights. We will only be able to achieve the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals with a fundamental transformation of our food systems. While we, as young people, have been excluded from most political and economic decision-making processes, we are also the ones who will live the longest with the consequences of decisions being made today. We have the power to take action ourselves and the right to demand urgent large-scale action from decision-makers in government and business. As youth, we act for food, act for change, to support good food for all. Inspired by Act for Food, Act for Change, Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition, or GAIN, and the Food Foundation decided to work together to support these young leaders to create a global movement and take it to a worldwide audience.
Now that we have more organizations on board, right, we have been able to be connected with other young people whom we did not know because these organizations are also bringing on board other young people whom we can now work together. And of course, um, unity is strength. So we all come from a diverse background uh, and from different regions. So there's people in Africa, um, people in all the continents. So there's in terms of representation, the pledge now has, um, I'd say, close to 100% representation, if not 100%, which would not be possible were it not for the different foundations and organizations coming together. The core group had expanded to over 20 young leaders by spring 21, with masses of stories coming in from all over the world. Lack of water, malnutrition, lack of jobs. Farmers growing cash crops are actually some of the most malnourished people in our world today. For cattle ranching in the Amazon rainforest are extremely destructive and that is impacting a lot of indigenous people. We know that we're at risk of inheriting a planet that will be over four degrees warmer, making it more difficult to grow and produce food. We also know that countries most at risk of hunger are going to be those most affected by climate change. Flooding, Drought and fires can be devastating to communities already struggling with a broken food system. We know that food is responsible for 30% of human-made greenhouse gas emissions. 28,000 species worldwide are at risk of extinction and agriculture is specifically threatening 86% of these species. Three billion people worldwide cannot afford a healthy diet, while one in three people are overweight or obese. Mostly the non-communicable diseases such as diabetes, hypertension, various types of cancers, which can be prevented. They're actually most non-communicable diseases or dietary related non-communicable diseases are actually preventable. But in Kenya... Because of our poor feeding habits, um, low physical inactivity, we lead very sedentary lives because um, perhaps of also the jobs that most people are engaged in, um, which now predisposes us to these non-communicable diseases. And uh, we'll see in the pledge, um, you'll see in the pledge once it's launched, that uh, part of the intended solutions is for um, young people to commit towards um eating well and also being more conscious of their lifestyle like let's choose a little physical activity goes a long way so um, small small steps and we'll be there. Poor diets are responsible for about 22% of adult deaths globally. There's also the complicated picture of land grab and big business with the poorest people in the world unable to grow their own food forced out of their homes and into poverty in the cities and increasingly they're losing touch with how to feed themselves. Bernice works with the Planting Change Foundation in his hometown of Managua in Nicaragua. In every single uh, event that I participate, I try to bring the voice of the most vulnerable people because it's the people where I work every day and there's people that are suffering different things such as lack of water, such as malnutrition, such as lack of jobs, and all different problems that are related to food system. For example, when a big agro-industry comes, they buy all the land and they grab land and they then send all these farmers away to the cities to live under horrible conditions because the big agro-industry agro is taking all the land, 
of the small farmers that in the past used to produce. So these people are suffering in different kinds of ways, but the main one is lack of water, uh, malnutrition, and poverty. The main things that we have to do is to organize our food system in a way that benefits the most vulnerable people, and especially women and vulnerable women and indigenous women. Do they have the control of the production of their own crops, especially in an unorganic uh, way? I, I think um, eating from the land and, and, and growing your own food or having you know, your, your community grow your own food is fantastic when, when possible. But uh, for the majority of, of the humans on our planet today, and most importantly for the majority of, of low-income humans on our planet today, um, eating from the land is no longer a reality of the world we live in. Uh, we live in an ever more urbanized world where, where people have moved to urban centers from rural areas and therefore don't have their own land to grow food. And, and I want to emphasize that there's this narrative that farmers are inherently eating their own food. As we've moved into a more connected global economy and as farmers, generally speaking, have, have often moved to, to produce cash crops instead of maybe their own uh, diversified fruit and vegetable and grain uh, crops, farmers growing cash crops are actually some of the mal most malnourished people in our world today. The, the number one job, if you want to be malnourished in the world today, is to be a farmer. And that is, that is simply not okay, as farmers have moved to cash crops and have been forced to buy imported food products in their local markets to feed their families. I think all these problems are manifested uh, in, my, in my country, Malawi. You know, we rely on agriculture for food production. At, at the same time, the focus has been on the manual way of reproducing using the hose and other manual labors, which cannot sustain in terms of uh, improving our, our production. So in terms of variability, that's a very huge challenge. Nicaragua, Liberia, Congo, Mozambique and Malawi, the story is the same. Traditional farming is no longer sustaining its people as populations rise and soil health is ruined by a double whammy of pesticide overuse and climate change. But what can we do? Fixing these kinds of problems is what Actions for Change is all about. Everyone should be able to afford to eat healthy and nutritious food. Uh, home gardening or school gardening is very much rare in our country. In my generation, junk food or fast food has been very much popular, which is not uh, nutritious at all cause um, many of us don't make it in our home. Schools don't have any school canteen. Many of the students don't take any tiffins from the home and they do their tiffin with a chips packet with a juice or a small cake which we can find in in the nearby shops and that's it. Most of the girl adolescents are suffering from anemia and that's why they can't be able to give their uh, best to make their life. There are 40 million, almost 40 million adolescents in my country and you know it's, it's the one part of fifth of the full population so it's a big number. So if we can um, make them well-nourished, if their dream is well-nourished, Bangladesh will be a well-nourished Bangladesh. So it, there is no alternative way.
to make Bangladesh a very prosperous country without making our adolescents or youth well-nourished. Mike agrees that lack of access to healthy food can be devastating for the whole community in Malawi. Malnutrition is a very, very huge challenge. And from malnutrition, you understand that the target has always been pregnant to our women, lactating women, well, little focus on the young people. Even the junk foods are available in the least developed countries. For instance, Malawi, if you go to rural areas in Malawi, you find that children below the age of five are eating those junk foods which are not nutritious and which cannot sustain their, their diet. So this is what, what I was passionate about changing, equipping young people with skills, knowledge, and capacity uh, to be the champion of nutrition within their community. At the same time, uh, the choices, as I said, we have limited in terms of the, the food choice because we don't have the capacity to produce and we don't have the purchasing power to have a number of various diets within our, our homes or our schools. On the other end of the spectrum, junk and processed food is also compromising the potential of some of the most developed countries in the world. You know, China has successfully eliminated extreme poverty last year, and China is also embracing the concept of rural revitalization as a new development paradigm. However, this doesn't necessarily mean that we eat healthier or our food system is more sustainable. There's so much more to be done to promote a healthier and more sustainable food system. Uh, According to a study last year that more than 50% of adults in China are overweight or obese. We eat too much salt, sugar, oils, and I believe the biggest problem is that we are eating too much meat and not adequate veggies and fruits, not adequate plant protein like beans, legumes, and nuts. We, we, we feed one-fifth of the world's population, and that's amazing, but we are using one-third of the world's fertilizer, and our meat and feed are increasingly relying more heavily on import. So I, I think these are all very challenging issues that uh, we have to campaign for, for better food system, not only in China, but it's a global issue. In Ireland today, we're seeing very high rates of overweight and obesity among our population, but we're also seeing longer queues at um, food banks and we're seeing people really struggle to afford decent, healthy, nutritious food. Um, on my campus in university, we're hearing from young people that they just can't afford food and that we're being fed this story as students that we shouldn't be able to afford healthy, nutritious food, that that's just part of being a student when we shouldn't have to accept that. It shouldn't be the norm. It shouldn't be the norm to go hungry and it shouldn't be the norm to not be able to afford nutritious food. And as Lana explains, in Brazil, there is an inextricable link between junk food climate change and poverty. Similarly to America and the UK, Brazil also has a junk food problem, but it's not 
seen as the only problem or the number one problem. It's also coexisting with other problems, such as undernutrition, uh, such as people not being ab- able to access sufficient amounts of healthy, nutritious food. Partially, the problem is about poverty. You know, these kind of inequitable distribution that makes it harder for people to access uh, sustainable, nutritious food. Um, but there's more to it, of course. Uh, the practices happening in Brazil around food production, specifically for cattle ranching and the Amazon rainforest, are extremely destructive. And that is impacting a lot of indigenous people in Brazil, including youth, and also impacting those of us who are in the surrounding environments just from the smoke and destruction as well. For a long time, um, the... You know, the Amazon rainforest has been, you know, people have been putting fire to the Amazon rainforest in order to clear land for more cattle grazing, for more of this large industrial meat industry that Brazil has and exporting meat to high income countries such as the UK, such as the United States, um, who demand it. And something that helps that is that now the government is encouraging and allowing this to continue happening at a large scale, which is increasing this practice from the businesses. So you can see how there's this interaction between business and government in these practices that then we indigenous people will see like their lands, their homes that they have lived on and that their ancestors have lived on for as long as they know being burned constantly. And, um, because of this large, what this really comes down to is this demand that doesn't even come from Brazil, which then we are feeding with our practices, which are harming the people here. Uh, so I think that's partially why for me, I know that this reason, this issue has to be tackled on an international context because it's not even Brazil specific. Marie Claire is in Switzerland, but has just come back from Ghana, where she's witnessed the impact of climate change on the local food system. So I've been spending two months in Ghana and we are or in Ghana. They are currently in the dry season. Actually, the rainy season should have actually already started, but it didn't. So it's very, very dry. It was over 40 degrees. And especially in the northern part, there is no water. There is no green plant, nothing. And people are um, experiencing hunger as I have never been seeing before. But in general, it's a very um, fragile situation uh, because of like a lot of basics are are missing. And also, if we actually have food, there is a lot of post-harvest food losses because the system is not in place to share the food, um, but also to preserve the food. I think it's it's very different from where I grew up, like in, in Europe, where we see different kind of food waste because we have better methods to preserve the food. Um, and I think it's it's uh, it was very shocking to me that. Um, they it could be very simple methods and very simple solutions, but the people have been struggling even if there's very, very simple solutions. For example, electricity breakout. Whenever there was rain, the electricity was gone. So you cannot even put something in the fridge and you cannot even cool something, even if you would have the technology. So it's not about the technology or whatever, but they're like very simple structures uh, which are missing. Or also, for example, fast connections. There is currently a railway under construction, but there is no possibility to bring the food from the south to the west, to the east, to the north. Um, so the food it gets stuck at one point and then it's just rotten. So it cannot even reach the people who would need it the most, which also makes it very, very hard for, for distribution and for supporting people in need. 
Um, I think what is, what is really needed is a lot of support for the farmers because a lot of farmers are under pressure. Um, and they themselves would, would need like very, very basic support, also financial support. Um, and then of course there needs to be a governmental infrastructure service, um, connecting the whole country. Um, but also I think what is very important is to educate the people, especially also the younger generation about healthy, nutritious food, um, and how they can also diversify their food system because as many other countries, um, they have been going away from indigenous crops and going into what is subsidized, what is supported, and it is very, very dangerous for the food system, um, to be resilient also when we see what the climate crisis with the droughts, um, and so on in, in this, in this country. So I think it's very important also to kind of go back and reinvent the indigenous traditions um, and, and crops. Act for Food, Act for Change is about connecting the issues of food, nutrition, climate change and biodiversity. And the youth leaders are taking their pledge and their list of policy asks, their actions for change, to the UN Food System Summit. This global group of organisations and networks of youth leaders, activists and campaigners will co-create the first ever list of actions that governments and businesses all over the world need to take in order to transform our broken food system. I do think um, Brazil is a a good place to see that connection between um, food that is production practices, especially that are being destructive to the planet and food that needs to nourish people more. Um, and I hope that other international contexts will be able to more directly see that through the case of what is happening in Brazil and start making those connections. Because I think as someone who has been involved in environment and climate spaces for a while as well, that often the food and agriculture contribution is missed. And then in food and agriculture spaces, often the impact on climate and environment is also missed. So I think this is an intersection that has been really needing to happen. And young people from different areas coming together is one of the first things that's really helping people to look at these issues a bit more interconnectedly. So what do these youth leaders think that our generation can do to fix a broken international food system where generations before have failed? I believe young people in China are becoming more aware of such issues like eating plant-based or uh, more. We, we more often say eating plant-forward and young people are becoming more passionate about reducing food waste and also very many young people are returning to rural areas to start business. And what we do is to build a hub for the young people to work in the food space together and to have better understanding about this is a systematic issue. We have to find systematic and also pragmatic solutions. I am now working at the Good Food Fund and what we do is to promote dietary change, and also food system transformation towards a more healthier and more sustainable one. Uh, The Good Food Fund hosts a good food summit every year. And when we talk to local governments uh, for their support to our summit, uh, they cannot find a certain government who is responsible for, for the food system issue like the agriculture department, they care about food security. They, the top priority is to feed the population. But, uh, you know, the, the health commission, they are responsible for the impacts on health, 
from from uh, unhealthy diets. And the environmental department, they care about uh, climate change, but their focus on agriculture is the resilience of agriculture, but uh, rather than uh, like reducing meat production or reducing fertilizer. <laughs> so we, we have to connect the stakeholders and change makers. Taylor is already working on it. I was living in Liberia after university um, to do somewhat uh, an unrelated job to the food system. Um, but I saw the problem of nonprofit organizations who were addressing in a reactive way malnutrition and, and broken food systems. Um, but I, I spoke with a pediatrician in March 23rd, 2016, who explained to me, he said, look, Taylor, I treat kids suffering from malnutrition, but I see the same kids coming back to me time after time. And none of the charities are doing anything to actually ask the question, why are these kids getting malnourished in the first place? And so that conversation really led to a, led to an obsession for me in asking the question, what would it take to design and take to market nutritious, delicious food products that are affordable and accessible to low income consumers around the world? So what's the answer? Um, the answer is it's, it's totally possible to do it. it. It's hard and it takes a different approach from day one. The current approach to, to the international development community supporting entrepreneurs is to design very much Western style uh, manufacturing facilities, food distribution processes, um, and, and take an approach of, of, that once a business reaches a certain scale, food products will become affordable to low-income consumers. The the research and, and the reality that I've lived in and seen over the last number of years doing this work is that to design food for the poorest of the poor that's actually nutritious and tastes good, it takes designing systems differently from day one um, and designing for low-income consumers from day one, um, whether that's designing in Liberia off the grid because, you know, using electricity is too expensive. Maybe in, in a place like Mozambique, that means, you know, designing in a way that, you know, focuses on smaller package sizes so that, you know, the individual consumer who's maybe operating on a daily, um, on a daily wage versus a monthly wage is able to afford nutritious food products every day. So it's a little bit different everywhere we go. Bernice is influencing the source of the food system with Nicaragua's farmers. We work uh, with strongly with education and human sustainable development. So what we are doing is right now we are working with farmers in four regions of the country and we give them them capacity to, to produce organic. They already produce food. This is people that are already producing big amounts of food. Uh, but there, there are small farmers, so we're working with them to change their production methodology from uh, standard agriculture to organic agriculture. And we're also connecting them with, with new markets uh, in the country and working to create social businesses that could buy their raw material and transform it into something with more value and increase the wealth of communities and and the main of one of the main problems of society that is poverty. Mike and Hoyu are training the business leaders of tomorrow in Malawi and China, but they need help. I'm looking forward to small and medium enterprises, which are in majority in, in Malawi, that doing a lot of things, processing uh, in all other aspects of food system. 
they have to be given the necessary resources, the necessary uh, materials for them to be able to produce more. So that is my very huge pledge uh, to the Minister of Agriculture as well as the Ministry of Labor and particularly the minister that is looking for young people, the youth. We, we are preparing for a policy boot camp. The tools of the boot camp are developed by the Resilience and Sustainable Development Program at Cambridge University, and the boot camp provides opportunities to use to pitch their big ideas to decision makers. We are pitching the policy boot camp to our local governments, to city level governments. For instance, we are approaching Wuhan. You must, you must know Wuhan uh, with a proposal on a policy bootcamp to address the sustainability of wet markets. And we're also pitching the, the Institute of Climate Change to, with, with a policy bootcamp proposal on how can we address food system issues in our national strategy towards carbon neutrality. So we, we are really trying hard to uh, connect young people's big ideas to the decision makers in China. Marie Claire, Lana, Bernice, Sophie and Dipti are clear that the world leaders must include young people in decision making. So I think we as young people, I mean, every generation has its own vibe, has its own passion. And I think many of us have been growing up really seeing the climate crisis, seeing the broken food system. And not only it's something in the future, but it's impacting me now, now, right now already. And I think this is something different. Um, the urgency is very different to me and a lot of my friends. But of course, also now many other generations are, are discovering this and are very um, engaging in, in, in this fight. But I think also the young people, we have a different approach also, for example, to digital tools, to technology, to connecting on a global level. Uh, so for me, my friends are all over the world. Um, there is not something like this, this barrier, right, which has been there just because it was not possible to connect to all these people around the world. But also young people or many young people are very... Um, driven by a passion, really want to solve something because there is the urgency to solve it. And we also see a lot of courageous people who do not want to fit in the norm or do not want to keep quiet because this is like how it was traditional done, especially also in Ghana, where there are a lot of traditional hierarchies as young person. It's very hard to speak up, but we see young people speaking up and demanding their right um, to be heard on, on various levels. And I think this is so important. And that's why I think that if we work cross-generationally, all together, we can solve the crisis. We can have the we can have the understanding and all the knowledge from the from the older generations, but also we can have the drive and the passion from the younger generation. And if we merge this, um, I think it can be very very powerful. Um, some of the challenges in influencing government is one of these is really similar to other contexts, which is that young people don't tend to have really an established role in being able to influence decision making um, and being able to influence like the leadership structures that exist. And we're often one of the most excluded voices, which is something that we're talking about. Um, and then also having really um, leadership that isn't really listening to young people, um, that isn't really open to uh, having voices of youth as something important and uh, something to look out for. The main problem, if we don't listen what young people have to say, is that we will keep building into a world that doesn't exist anymore. The youths have different dreams, different ideas, they have energy, 
they have everything to make accelerate the change that we want to see and to stop the destruction of the environment that is what we are doing if we don't change the current food system productions. Young people really need to demand change today because we have the longest to live with the decisions being made today. And these decisions are more often than not being made without us in the room, without us being asked, without us being at the table or having a voice. The sustainable development goals are up in less than 10 years. We have less than 10 years to change the world. We are one of the largest youth generations in history, but we're also one of the most connected with the tools available to us to really change the world. And I think this is where the Youth Pledge really fits in very well. It has the ability to connect millions of young people from across the globe in a way that truly, truly matters and offer that support, but also offer a sense of community. And this community can put pressure on people in positions of power and businesses to change the way they run the world. Uh, it's power of network. It's power of being together. And that's, that's the time I realized that, yeah, if we can being together, we can do anything. This is a new generation of leaders throughout the world who are committed to fighting for their right to a healthy and sustainable diet. Presenting the pledge and actions for change at the UN Food Systems Summit and key international events this year will give these youth leaders a platform to speak directly to decision makers. We're asking young people all over the world to have their say by voting on which actions for change are most important to them to get a list of clear asks of government and business. Please support this global movement by signing the pledge and voting on your top actions for change by going to actionsforchange.org. This is the beginning of a 10-year campaign. We will build a better food future. We can do this together. Thanks for listening. And please help us to spread the word with the hashtags Act for Food, Act for Change and Good Food for All.